Open your Bibles and turn with me to uh, John 4.1 and we'll be reading through to uh, verse 15. So that's John um, chapter 4, verse 1 through to 15. And it's titled, Jesus Talks with a Sumerian Woman. Now Jesus learnt that there was that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptised but his disciples. So he left Judah and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called, called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samarian woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samarian woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samarian woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, have, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Our next reading is from uh, Ezekiel chapter 47. That's Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 1 through to 12. And it's titled, The River from the Temple. <clears throat> the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple... And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gates facing east, and the water was trickling from the side south. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river and I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in it, a river that no one could cross. He asked, uh, he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back down to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, 
This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Abra, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows, and there will be large num numbers of fish, because the waters flow there and make the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engidi to Eglim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. The leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Uh, it's great if you can keep your Bible open there at Ezekiel 47. Uh, it's the passage we're going to be considering this morning. And before we do that, let's, uh, let's pray together. Well, God, we thank you for this uh, great picture from Ezekiel 47 uh, of a river flowing uh, from your temple. But we pray, Lord, that as we think about it this morning, that you would help us to understand what it was you were saying then, um, but also what you're saying to us today. Father, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word. And would you shape us and refine us through it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it doesn't uh, seem to matter what area or region or country in the world we think of, it's quite normal that we associate a river of some significance with it. And so if we think about southern Africa, we can think about the Zambezi River. If we think about northern Africa, we think about the Nile. Uh, South America, we think about the Amazon. North America, maybe the Mississippi. Uh, India has the Ganges. China has the, the Yangtze River. Europe has the, the Danube. Australia, we even have the, the Murray River. And these Rivers are more than just kind of icons. These rivers mean so much for the areas through which they flow. I don't know if Josh has got that uh, slide up there. This is a, a slide of the Nile River taken from space. And you can very clearly see that on all around, it's just dust and dry. And yet for this thin strip that runs alongside the river, there is greenery. It's alive. It's thriving. And this is where the bulk of the population of, of Egypt actually lives, on either side of the Nile River. You see, a river means transportation. It means drink. It means irrigation for crops. It means a way to water animals. A river means life. Now, that's just not, not just a modern phenomenon. This goes back a long, long time. And so the time that we read about in Ezekiel is a time when they knew about the importance of rivers. Ezekiel is written to people who uh, were originally in Israel and then moved off to Babylon, a dry, arid region. You can take that down, down now, Josh. Everybody's looking at that instead of me. Uh, <laughs> uh, they knew the importance of having a river that, that flowed. And so it's not surprising then when God wants to describe his work of renewing, of refreshing people of renewing the world, he often pitches this in terms of, of rivers. So it's in Genesis chapter 2, when the Garden of Eden is described, a, a lush green place where people live uh, in relationship with God and with each other. 
that is supplied by four great rivers running through it. In Psalm 46, when the psalmist wants to describe the blessedness of the city of Jerusalem, he describes it as a city whose river, whose streams make glad, the city of our God. It's a place of refreshment. And so when God here in Ezekiel 47 wants to describe or picture his renewing, recreating work to his people, he pictures it as a life-giving river to his people and to the world. So this morning, as we wrap up our series in Ezekiel, we've been here for nearly four months. We want to have a look at this at one last image of God's work of renewing and restoring his people then and the world today through this image of a river. And I want to think about three things about this river. You have them uh, on the outline you were given on your way in. Its origin, its source, its momentum, and its impact. So let's start with its origin or its source. Now, a few years ago, I remember watching a documentary on television about uh, three explorers who uh, went to look for the source of the Nile River. Uh, it was two New Zealanders and a Brit, um, which sounds like a start of a joke or uh, an Olympic final. Um, but uh, three, no Australians in it, of course. <laughs> uh, but it told, told the story of these three guys who in 2006 decided to travel uh, over 80 days the length of the Nile. It was a journey that took them thousands of kilometers through five countries. One of them actually even died uh, on the journey. And 80 days later, they came to a place in Uganda, which was a muddy trickle out of the ground, which they identified to be the source of the Nile River. Now, they documented this, and they brought it back to the uh, to the geographical world and people examined their evidence, but there was a lot of debate as to whether this really was the true source of the Nile. With so many uh, streams giving flow to it, people questioned, is this really where it comes from? Well, there's no such question when we look at the river in Ezekiel 47. Have a look there at verse 1. Ezekiel is in the midst of being shown by a man, a shining man, a glorious man, around the new temple in Jerusalem. There in verse 1, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. So he's standing in the, I guess, in the courts of the temple. He's looking at this, uh, the, the, the temple and out from underneath the threshold runs the small stream or, or a trickle. The man takes him out of the north gate and around to the east side uh, of the, the temple mount. And he sees that this water comes out of the temple and throws uh, outside the east gate on the south side and then off into the desert. Now this is important. Ezekiel is being shown a river that finds its origin in the dwelling place of God. Ezekiel is made very clear that this is a river that flows from God himself. Now, throughout the whole book of Ezekiel, we've seen this theme, that whatever it is the nation is experiencing is something that has been given to them by God. When they went off into exile, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't random. It wasn't some sort of karma. This was God bringing his judgment 
on his people. It was him that took them there. And now when God is picturing their return, their renewal, their new life, again it makes it clear, this is from God. This is not just good luck. This is not cosmic karma. This is God renewing, reviving, and refreshing his people. See, the message was clear. The only hope that people have, the only hope that our world has, is God himself. Life, and that's what we're going to see that this river brings. Life is not found in my accomplishments. It's not achieved by my own efforts. It's not something that I work for or earn. Life is something that is given by God. Jesus says similar things, doesn't he? In John chapter 4, which we, uh, we, we read just before, Jesus says to the woman and he says to her, Uh, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Later on in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I, uh, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. The claim that Jesus made was that life, True life, living life that water brings is found in him and in him alone. See, the amazing news that we receive from God's word is that although we, we fell into sin, and although this world is marked by spiritual dryness and barrenness, from the beginning of sin, God has had a plan to restore and renew people. From the beginning of time, God has had a plan that he would accomplish to restore life for his people. It's a plan that we see being accomplished uh, in Ezekiel. And it's a plan that we ultimately see being fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. A plan that involves his life and his death and his rising. A plan that means life for those who believe and who trust in him. You see, the, the lie that we're constantly fed from our world and our society is that life is what you make of it. Life is what you earn. Life is what you work for. And here God's promise, and God's gift, is that life is what has been accomplished in his son. This origin of this river is found in God. But before we move on, I want to also notice this. Its origin is found in God, but this life, this river, flows through his people. When Ezekiel describes a temple being renewed in these chapters, he describes more than just a home for God to live. In the description of the rebuilding of the temple, he's talking about a new life, and a new hope, and a new reality for his people. A new relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul is describing the church now, he describes the church in terms of a new temple in which God lives by his Spirit. 
You see, this life finds its origin in God, but the banks that this river flows along are as people. The river is not just a place for the church to drink. Church is a channel for this river to run through into this world. That's the first thing we want to notice about this river is its origin. The second thing we want to notice is its momentum. When it comes to the Nile River, obviously the small muddy trickle that it begins with is not where it finishes. As you travel along the hundreds of kilometers of its length, the thousands of kilometers of its length, it grows in size as other streams, as other rivers join its flow. By the time we get to the end of the Nile River, it has become a wide river uh, that is very deep and it spreads out to become a, a massive delta. Well, similarly, when we described this river in Ezekiel 47, it's a river that picks up momentum as it goes. Not because it is joined by other streams, but it's a river that God is controlling. Have a look there, starting at verse 3. We're told that the man goes eastward with a measuring line in his hand. He measures off about 400, 500 meters, and we realize that the river has become ankle deep. Verse 4, he measures off another four, 500 meters. It's become knee deep. Verse 5, the end of the second part of verse 4, he measures off another lot, and it becomes waist deep. And then finally, after he's nearly two kilometers from the temple, we realize that this is a river that you could swim in. It's a river that you can't cross. It's a river that is, uh, is wide and it is deep, flowing off towards the Dead Sea. It's a river that is continuing to pick up momentum to build as it flows. Now, why go into this? Why spend three, four verses describing this growing momentum of the river? Well, as Ezekiel is giving these prophecies, he is speaking to a people who had been for a long time without hope. They had been for a long time thinking that God had abandoned them. And as he begins to spell out God's renewing work, hope begins to grow. They begin to wonder and grasp hold of this reality that God is going to do something big and amazing among them. But a number of years after this, they will go back to their land. And it won't be quite as glorious and spectacular as they might have hoped. They'll go back very small in number. They will attempt to rebuild the temple and the walls. It'll take a long time. There'll be lots of delays and there'll be a lot of opposition. They'll continue to be surrounded by enemies. They continue to have enemies from within. They would again be conquered and overrun and occupied. There would be times when again and again they would begin to wonder what has happened with this great thing that God had promised. So this is the point that Ezekiel is making. This renewing, reviving work of God can start very small. It can start as just a trickle. It can sometimes seem unimpressive. But because it's God's river, because it's God's work, it will grow in God's time. 
because it is God's plan to bring refreshing and renewing, it will continue to gather momentum as it goes. Jesus tells some stories with a very similar emphasis. He tells the story of a mustard tree which provides shelter, provides shade and, and life for the birds of the air. But he, he says it starts off very small, like a mustard seed. He tells a story of, of yeast that causes a whole uh, loaf of bread to grow, to, to expand, but yet it starts off very small and it, it has to be worked through. You see, the point is, is that God's kingdom can sometimes seem very small, insignificant. Jesus starts with 12 disciples that even shrinks to 11. Disciples who are fishermen. Disciples who have very little education. Disciples who continue to stumble and who continue to, 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 to sin, who don't get the big idea. But because it's God's work, and because it's God's kingdom, it expands. When the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches, 3,000 are converted. And then it's 5,000. And then it's out into Judea and Samaria. And then it spreads to the ends of the known world because it's God's work. We think of our lives. His work starts with a very simple confession. Jesus is Savior and Lord. But as he works in our lives as the Spirit takes hold and takes shaping our lives. He changes us and He grows us. And He shapes us for His purposes and for His kingdom. We think about the church. Ministries can often start off very small. Ministries can continue for many months and sometimes many years without very little impact. They can seem to be insignificant and weak and, and even hopeless, but because it's God's work, over time, His work continues and it grows and it expands. We think about planning churches. We think about sending out a, a core team that is quite small, and we ask the question, what sort of impact can this few people make? We're not brilliant people. We're, we're just ordinary people, but we remember it's God's work and it's His kingdom. And He can grow and expand and bring life where there's just a seed, where there's just a trickle. You see, because it's God's work, we should have a quiet optimism about His kingdom and about His coming. It's not a triumphalism. It's not a boastfulness. It's not an arrogance but a quiet confidence that because He is King and it's His kingdom, He will continue to bring life and growth and maturity. We should pray for His kingdom work with boldness and optimism and hope and expectancy because He is the God that can start with small things and yet bring great impact. We can pray with boldness for His work in our own lives. That He will shape and form and grow and mature. We can pray with hope for His work in the lives of our families, in the lives of people around us. Because it's His work and it's His kingdom. We can pray with confidence and expectancy for His work in the church. 
for his work in Geelong and in Australia. We can look expectantly to him to bring life and growth in his kingdom because he is the Lord God. And he is the one who is growing his kingdom from a small trickle to a great river. He's the one who's bringing a renewal, not just to a small people, but to the entire world. The third thing we want to notice about this river is its impact. Because it is a river that brings life. Think about that picture of the Nile River flowing through uh, North, Northern Africa. Think about that green strip that exists on either side of the banks of the Nile. There, there is life, greenery, people, community, existence. Everywhere else around it, it, it's barren and it's dry, but there is thriving, teeming life. And that's the picture that God gives to Ezekiel of his renewing and refreshing work in the world. Have a look at verse 6. Verse 7, he looks down the, the banks of this river. Verse 7, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. Trees in the desert, trees where, where there is very little life. Verse 8, he tells us that this river flows through the desert into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea because it's, well, dead. <laughs> There's no life there. The salt content is it is too high for there to be fish in it. But this river flows into it, and all of a sudden, it becomes fresh, and it's teeming with life. There are animals that can come, and they can drink from this river. There are fish swimming in the river. And because there are fish there, verse 10, there are, there are fishermen. There is community. There is life living, growing, maturing around this lake. Verse 11 tells us that the swamps there are still salty. The good things about the Dead Sea, the one good thing about the Dead Sea that it produced lots of salt, it's still there. God allows for the swamps. Verse 12, fruit trees growing along the banks, leaves not withering, producing fruit. Every month there's a new crop of fruit there. Leaves that are for healing, leaves that provide medicine and healing for his people. The picture that Ezekiel has here is of abundant, full, and thriving life being brought by this river. To a land and a people who are barren and dry, God is promising renewing and refreshing. As we read this, we remember, we, we, we're meant to remember the picture in Genesis chapter 2. In the Garden of Eden, people living in perfect relationship with God. People living in perfect community with each other. People enjoying the blessing of God and the fruit of what He's created them. And through Ezekiel, God is saying, that is where I am taking you back. I'm taking you back into a new relationship with myself. I'm taking you back into a new community of life and of hope. 
I'm taking you back to the place where you enjoy the blessing of my creation and of my world through the undoing of the curse of sin. And so when we find Jesus speaking to the woman of the well, as she thinks that she's ta he's talking or they're talking about water that comes out of the ground, Jesus says, no, I'm talking about a new life for you. An abundant life. A refreshed life. A life that doesn't get thirsty again. As she thinks he's talking about living in a dry land, Jesus is talking about living in a spiritually dry world, but being renewed and refreshed. A number of years ago, a friend and I, we did uh, uh, some hiking in the Victorian high country. We had a, a four-day hike planned uh, over a number of, of different mountaintops, and we got to the end of day two, and uh, we camped at a site which the map told us would have a stream where we could refresh our water bottles and things like that. We got there, and it was absolutely dry. There was a bit of a muddy patch at one point, but the rest of it was just dry. We didn't have enough water on us to rehydrate the, the food we'd taken. So we went to bed that night very hungry uh, and quite thirsty and woke up the next morning very early. We realized that we couldn't continue, possibly continue, this next two days of our hike. So we changed our plans and we dropped down into the valley beneath us. The further down this valley we got, the more we could hear the sound of something running, flowing in the valley floor below us. And as we got there, there opening up in front of us was this great stream, or in fact it was more like a river. We refilled, we ate, we drank, we swam, we spent a whole day just lounging alongside this river, enjoying life, being refreshed. That's what God is picturing not just for a couple of thirsty hikers, but for his world. That is what God is accomplishing in and through his son, Jesus Christ. A renewal, a refreshing for dry and thirsty people. He's promising life for his world, for community, for hope for meaning and for purpose that comes from knowing his son, Jesus. He asks us that question. Do we know what it is to be refreshed and renewed by his son? Have we drunk deeply from his son, Christ, and found a refreshing and a renewal for our hearts? Do we continue to drink deeply from him to experiencing his life-giving work? Do we know what it is to be life-bringers into a dead, dry world? Do we know what it is to be the conduits through which His water flows into families, into church, into the community around us? Do we know what it is to be those who bring signs of life to a dry and a weary world? Is our hope pinned on Christ and what he's accomplished and what he's promising?
Are we hanging our hopes on God's vision for a renewed world and a renewed people under Him? God picks up this theme in Revelation 22 of a river flowing through His new city, Jerusalem. Revelation 22 from verse 1. Then the angel showed me a river of water of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God's picture is of lives of community, of his world, of nations, restored and renewed under his Son. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for this great imagery, and we thank you for the reality that it represents of your plan and your purpose and your desire for our world. We thank you that in Jesus we find life-giving water. We find refreshment for our souls. We find a new hope and a new relationship with you. But we thank you that this goes beyond us and it flows into your world. And we thank you that you are still calling people to be renewed and refreshed through your Son. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. We thank you for the joy of seeing you at work in our lives, in this community, in your world. We thank you through your son, Jesus. Amen.